Welcome to Scandal.k12.us. Our Scandal K-12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. This curriculum contains references and potential descriptions of crimes against minors in the field of education. Listener discretion is always advised. And now, time for morning announcements. Good, <coughs> Good morning, Scandal K-12 students, home of the Fighting Rats. Go Rats! So today we're going to continue with our second part of E-Ratation. So if you haven't listened to the first part, go back and do so. Or don't. We really can't help if you want to cheat on the test, but we do recommend for a little context, you go back and give it a listen. As a quick refresher, E-Rate is a federal program that collects money from telecommunication carriers and bundles it into discounts that are given to schools and other qualifying educational institutions. The money doesn't actually come from the bottom line of AT&T or Sprint or Verizon, but from a small service charge on cell phone and, for you older listeners out there, landlines. This money, while never noticed by the individual, collectively adds up to billions of dollars. These billions of dollars are then turned over by the FCC to a small nonprofit called the Universal Service Administrative Company, run by apparently a skeleton staff, who, according to many, possibly former employees, is, quote, just a weird place to work. Whatever the working conditions and <clears throat> company culture of the USAC, the staff there release a lot of money with very little oversight. This has led, over the decades, to a lot of abuse of the program. This has led to corruption and overcharging by large corporations like IBM and Cisco, and also relatively small diversion of funds by companies no one has ever heard of. All told, this has cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Due to these known and often publicized fraud cases, the E-Rate program has been a constant target of government reform advocates who call for its end. The program has withstood these attacks. However, since the benefit to schools and educational institutions seem to outweigh the occasional criminal malfeasance, the program has withstood these attacks. Also, it isn't the school's money or the Universal Service Administrative Company's money. It doesn't even come out of the quarterly earnings of your least favorite telecommunications company. It's your money. Since you perhaps pay a little over 12 bucks a year, you're not out there marching in the streets against this theft of your hard-earned money. We expect that you waste about 12 bucks a year in other ways, putting pennies into the need-a-penny-take-a-penny jar, perhaps the in-app purchases for games you no longer play, money left in pockets of laundered clothes, or buying four pumpkin spice signature lattes at Dunkin', formerly Dunkin' Donuts. All these ways you have wasted $12 don't strike you as difficult, so why would you go and protest against this? This is a small fee, for the most part, that perhaps helped you, your students, and your local school. That new high-speed connection may be from an E-rate discount. The one-to-one -one Chromebooks may be from that same program, as could an upgrade to a needed system you never even think about, but ensures that the school is using technology in a way that's keeping with the modern world. Unfortunately, there are people out there more than willing to make money at the expense of our educational institutions. And for this, we have part two of e-ratation. 
So today we're going to focus on Puerto Rico on this episode as it serves as our main fraud example and to get in the mood, we will virtually travel there and look at a few bad educators or mal maestros. Since you probably got questions on Puerto Rico wrong on Trivia Night, let's give a little overview and history of education on that island. Puerto Rico is an unincorporated territory of the United States. You'll see Puerto Rico referenced as a commonwealth, just like Kentucky or Massachusetts, Virginia, Pennsylvania, or some call it America's only colony. While close to Brazil, Puerto Rico is a part of the Greater Antilles Islands that includes Cuba and the Dominican Republic, and it's culturally Hispanic as it was first colonized by the Spanish rather than the Portuguese, so it's Spanish-speaking. For a long time, Puerto Rico was a Spanish colony, but after a series of crazy events that are right now outside of the scope of this program, it became an American territory on March 2nd of 1917 by an act of Congress. Puerto Rico has developed an educational system that has matured to look much like the rest of the United States rather than copying their Iberian ancestral colonizers. For the first decades of the not country, Curriculum and textbooks had been dictated by the mainland and Washington, D.C. interests. In the past several decades, the curriculum and educational system has been modified to represent the people of the island with greater local choice. While having joined the mainland nation in many ways, the island lags behind in many areas, especially much-needed infrastructure. Not just buildings and classrooms, paper and science equipment, but also the sort of high-speed internet needed for today's online learning. Before we get into our main story, let's first start with a demonstration in the capital of San Juan by teachers and others opposed to curriculum changes. According to the Catholic News Agency, quote, tens of thousands of people rallied Saturday outside of Puerto Rican capital and marched through the streets to oppose the imposition of the, quote, gender perspective curriculum that was announced by the territory's governor. Claribel Molinado, a spokeswoman for the protesters, met with the governor, said that the new curriculum which includes the works of Judith Butler, a mainland American philosopher on gender studies and queer theory, is unacceptable for the values of Puerto Ricans and is being forced down the throats of teachers and schools by the autocratic governor and mainland political interests. El Nuvoto Punte.com, number one in WEPA News in San Juan, reporter questioned Malonado's credentials as a teacher impacted by the curriculum change. Malonado admitted that she, quote, was not doing that right now, but claims that she holds a master's degree in international trade and research, which is close enough, right? It seems that teaching is the only job where you can do a year in the classroom, maybe as a Teach for America student, and then forever call yourself a teacher or former teacher and say things like, as a former teacher, I blah blah blah. We mean, by that yardstick, some of our staff at Scandal.K12.us are former dishwashers, former egg delivery men, and former unemployed persons. Anyway, Maldonado continued, quote, In Puerto Rico in the past decade, the governors have assumed a totalitarian style of governance. Today's march represents the uprising of a people that's not willing to allow their rights to be violated and, above all, the commitment of thousands of parents and grandparents that are not going to hand over our children to gender ideology. According to El Novida, quote, the Secretary of Education, for his part, was willing to listen to the proposals in a meeting. Quote, I am not going to work anything behind dark doors. My table is there. My office is there. Yeah, 
we we had to use Google Translate since there's not a lot of news about Puerto Rico in English, but I think we get the idea. Now, we're going to see if we remember to follow that story as it unfolds, but um, unfortunately, students, I expect we'll forget about it totally. Our next story comes to us from, again, a badly Google translated article in Spanish. <laughs> 20 teachers in Puerto Rico are in Agua Caliente or Merda Profunda for a scheme involving rocket learning. According to Primahora.com, teachers use rocket learning to propel themselves into the middle class. Suspecting that money was being paid to tutors for absolutely no work, the FBI conducted an operation titled Bad Grades. <laughs> operation Bad Grades. You know, sometimes you have to love law enforcement humor. After months of the investigation, and perhaps months of privately laughing at their cleverly named Operation Bad Grades, agents uncovered a scheme where teachers were falsifying student tutoring hours and pressuring students to sign off on those falsified hours, often under physical threat. You know, sometimes teachers are in it for the love of learning and sharing, and other times teachers are in it for those sweet, sweet Benjamins. Now, typically, rocket learning tutors make a good wage. They make about $30 to $40 an hour, which in Puerto Rico is 30 to 40 American dollars since, and we need to repeat, Puerto Rico uses the United States dollar since they're part of the United States and use some, but not all, of our Constitution. While the pay is actually good on an island where the average wage for someone with a bit of education is $26 an hour, it wasn't good enough for a handful of tutors who, rather than pass on all those book words to their students, they instead faked hours and forced students to sign off on them. These hours added up to lost money to the Department of Education, but we also have to think it's also lost study time for students who were just trying to get better grades. According to Douglas Left, the special agent to FBI in San Juan and lead investigator for Operation Bad Grades, or Malice Nuticus, the agency caught over 20 tutors who took in about a million dollars of taxpayer money. Agent Left says, quote, these people were willing to sacrifice the future of the children that this program sought to benefit. Now, the educators have their own version of school detention, except it is jail, perhaps sharing a cell with all those other fun people imprisoned on the island, not a state, not a nation. Now, for our next story, we have to ask you students, do you like to party? According to Noticel.com, a Department of Education special education teacher in San Juan was arrested along with two young males and one underage teen as they bought 19 bags of marijuana, 26 bags of cocaine, and 56 bags of crack. Well, we assume these are those small, tiny little bags and not like hefty cinch sacks. That's still a lot of drugs. We worked it out. It was 25.25 bags of drugs per person, which sounds like more than one lost weekend. The now former teacher, Efran Colon, seemed like he wanted to get no comido un cable, get basey with the jelly beans, suck down some nose candy and hyphy on some imperial grade dank, righteous bush, all while hitting the rock. After arraignment, the former teacher is now leading a field trip for himself and his young friends to Bayamon Correctional Complex, a stone's throw from Sullivan's Fried Chicken, and King Potato, a place that, as the name implies, specializes in overstuffed baked potatoes. We're not sure if that's a local specialty. 
So now, let's turn to our main announcement and our Keystone story on E-Rate. The year was 2002, and the protests in Vieques, a small island the Navy used for target practice, had resulted in the Bush administration removing the U.S. Navy from using the island as a bombing range so that, while listed as the most hazardous waste site in Puerto Rico, with a 25% higher cancer rate among residents than those living on the island proper, nature could once again take over. And many thought progress had come to the island, not a nation, and we could return to not thinking about Puerto Rico until the next version of West Side Story appears in theaters. It is commonly known that only a few wealthy families of the island control politics and the economy, and nowhere is that clearer than the education system where these connected families use it as a fundraising tool to skim off money that the mainland sends, that is, the U.S. federal government. And year after year, they leave schools without basic services such as clean water and toilets and also the sort of issues, unfortunately, we typically consider with what used to be called the third world. The education system under Fariardo had not improved since he took office as education secretary in 1994. Along with doing all the education things, Fariardo was very involved with the political party, the New Progressive Party, or Paradero Nuvero Progresa, or PNP. The PNP has and is a political party that advocates for statehood rather than the other political parties of the island who either want to maintain the current territory status or, such as Partido Nacionalistica de Puerto Rico, that push for full independence and nationhood. The New Progressive Party, or PNP, which was founded back in 1967, has had a long history of financial shenanigans, and these shenanigans, or in Spanish, chanada, are various, but we'll just focus on those that involve the Department of Education. It is important to know that the majority Catholic nation, the tradition of tithing or giving money to the church, continued in a much more profane and secular manner in that each agency had to donate to their political party as a quote-unquote payment. And of course, rather than a bake sale or a fundraising walkathon, um, they always turned to extortion in exchange for contracts and, uh, of course, quickly see that crime pays. According to Fardando, he blamed the entire scheme on just not being able to raise the $60,000 campaign quota the PNP had set for the Department of Education. When Fardando realized how open the cookie jar of E-Ray was, he continued to turn to that jar and just take a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more money, and over a few short years, Fardando had misdirected over $100 million and personally profited anywhere between 4 and $9 millions for himself, and at least uh, one million diverted to the PNP party. But let's not get ahead of the story. According to a 2005 committee report on the case, 23.5 million in E-rate program-funded equipment in the Puerto Rico Department of Education, or PRDOE, warehouse that was just shrink-wrapped and sitting in storage pallets, never used, and had been sitting there for years, gathering dust instead of improving the lives of students. Over the course of three years, more than $100 million in funds were provided to the PRDOE, certified by its E-rate program-funded network, which would be operational and put to educational use when, in fact, it was never made operational or put to any significant educational use. Very few schools received the Internet from those funds, and those that did were rush jobs and were subpar installations, or in most cases, contractors billed the PRDOE for work that was clearly not done. 
Over two years and more than 700 schools, a monthly fee of up to $1,500 per school was charged for T1 lines that were essentially not being utilized. So students had the lines, but they weren't turned on in many cases, making them basically useless. According to the Orlando Sentinel, quote, a humiliated Fajardo asked for forgiveness while warning politicians that things must change. The excessive interest in doing business with the government, the interest of political institutions to get into and stay in power had put the agency heads in a position of disadvantage between what was right and what is illegal, he said. It's strange. We've never thought of very rich uh, politicians being among the quote-unquote disadvantaged, but I guess there you are. Using his position to, quote, further my personal and ideological convictions cannot be excused, Fajardo said. By pleading guilty in the coming days and cooperating with authorities, he had hoped to protect his family, some of whom were initially implicated. Only the truth sets us free, he said, but of course in Spanish. Quote, that is the only way to find once more the peace my heart stopped having some months ago. Indeed, only truth shall set us free. For his role in the scheme, Fajardo was sentenced to 12 years in prison. The PRDOE was banned for several years from the E-Ray program, but thankfully there was a lot of unused materials in warehouses so they could install them in 2004 when they were able to again to apply for the discount. Unfortunately, much of this progress was undone in the 2004 hurricane, Gene, which struck the island and damaged or destroyed that infrastructure that was put in place. So now let's take a break from the tropical paradise and travel to Texas to meet Ruben Bouchot, since the E-Ray program has had other mal actors outside of Puerto Rico. Ruben Bouchot was Dallas ISD's chief technology officer, but according to WFAA News 8, quote, Bouchot lived like a rock star. Now, living like a rock star, well, that's just not something we typically associate with the field of education. Let's be honest. But Bouchot, as both the district assistant superintendent and chief technology officer, was the key point of contact for all technology in a district which has a budget of $1.8 billion. For five years, all was going well with whatever mysterious things he was doing until a 2005 interview with a Dallas Morning News reporter who asked just who had paid for a recent fishing trip he had taken to Key West, Florida. Unfortunately, Bouchot didn't have a good answer. According to additional reporting by VoicesEMPower.com, a news site that claims to work, quote, in the trenches of the Tea Party movement to break the reliance on the liberal media, which claim that the, well, fishing trip, uh, well, wait, let's, hang on one second, let's just look up another, uh, maybe more known news source. Hang on, please hold. Okay, so, okay, so let's go with, according to the Dallas Observer, is that good? The real whistleblower's name is Danny Kane. Kane told the Dallas Observer, which is a newspaper uh, owned by the Village Voice Media, which is an alternative news weekly. It just may epitomize the quote-unquote liberal media. But anyway, Kane told that source that he knew about not only Bouchot, but also his associates in crime, a man named Frankie Wong, who worked for a computer reselling company and who helped structure a scheme of a $120 million contract in order to bilk the E-rate program. Why Kane knew about these high crimes was because they were using his house as a base for these crimes. According to Kane, quote, Here are all these people stealing money from school kids, 
and they're using my house for an illegal enterprise. And here's where you're going to need to break out all of your post-it notes. You're going to have to get your red twine, get your cork board, and let's get strange. It seems that Danny Kane had a cousin, Chuck. So just put those pictures there and do the red twine. Chuck worked for Bouchot at the Dallas ISD. More twine, more pictures. And one day, Chuck told Kane that Bouchot and his pal Frankie Wong were, quote, going in on a big old boat together. More twine, more pictures. It was a 46-foot post yacht dubbed Cerveza. And that they, of course, needed a captain and a hostess for such a large boat. Chuck asked Kane to see if Kane's sister and her husband, Danny Tingley, would like to work on the boat for Bouchon and Wong. More twine, more pictures. While Kane did tell his brother-in-law and sister about the job, and the couple accepted it, he did warn his sister that no good would come of this boat job. I guess he just had a bad feeling about all of it. According to the Observer, not long after Mr. and Miss Tingley took the job, quote, Kane started getting bizarre mail at the house. Not the usual credit card offers and jury duty summonses that we all get. Kane was getting mail from the Coast Guard regarding the certification for Cerveza and the boat's registration papers. He then started getting all sorts of mail addressed to Tingley, Bouchot, and Wong. And even more strange, he got mail about reselling computers for microsystems engineering as if Kane himself was running a company out of his house. More twine, more pictures. At this point, Kane says he, quote, realized exactly what was up. Now, while most people may just keep watching TV and mowing the lawn, as much as the mail piled up and just carted to the garbage, not old Kane here. He went to the attorney general's office and made a complaint. The Texas attorney general's office at once ignored him. Kane was not to be stonewalled. He then went to the Travis County district attorney, who also shut the door on him. Kane then went to the Dallas County District Attorney, but the District Attorney for Dallas County also wanted nothing to do with his case and told him to call the FBI. So undaunted, Kane then called the FBI and was apparently sent directly to voicemail several times. Well, at least three that he documented. But the point is, is that they never returned his call. While paperwork for yet another boat appeared on his doorstep with the absolutely unoriginal name of Cerveza II, Kane had had enough. Even if his sister and brother-in-law would be in trouble, he wanted his house as a home and not as a home office, especially a home office of people who didn't live there and were engaging in criminal activities. Having exhausted the typical channels for reporting crime, Kane said he called the Dallas Morning News and talked to reporter Pete Slover and Kent Fisher. So it took not the district attorney, the Travis County District Attorney, Dallas County District Attorney, or the FBI, but two reporters from the liberal media who finally broke the story open wide. The court case took down a lot of people. For his crimes, Bucho got 11 years, Wong got 10 years, and a few other co-conspirators had to pay fines or do short stints in the joint. The huge, too-big-to-fail corporation, Hewlett-Packard, which was involved, had to repay the E-rate fund almost $20 million, but the company did not admit any wrongdoing and none of their staff went to jail. So, no big surprise on that one. While not quite an achievement in education, Mr. Bouchot won the dubious award of the highest profile Dallas ISD employee to go to prison in more than a decade when former Superintendent 
Yvonne Gonzalez went to prison for spending $16,000 in public funds on furniture for her home, including what was described by the Texas Monthly as really tacky oriental credenzas. Also, and unrelated to E-Rate, but for delicious, delicious bonus points, Gonzalez was also accused of, quote, sending the district's chief financial officer sexually aggressive greeting cards, whispering lewd comments in his ear at meetings, and, in a fit of jealousy, using Dallas ISD funds to hire a private investigator to follow him to see if he was meeting other women. We can only assume that that fellow was a Dallas 10. Touchdown for Mr. Greenfield, or whatever his name might have been. So all's well that ends well for Dallas ISD. They got a new chief technology officer, E-Rate was paid back some money, and a private prison got more, quote-unquote, clients. As for Kane, he got federal whistleblower money, but he said, perhaps as he slowly clipped the hedges and looked vaguely angry about the credit card offers, the flyers, and the bills piling up in the mailbox, he said the money wasn't worth the trouble and he was glad it was all over. The fate of the 46-foot Cerveza and 80-foot boat Cerveza 2 are unknown at this time of this recording, but knowing that renaming boats is unlucky, we can only assume that they're either out there sailing around on the ocean or maybe they've been washed up on shore since, quite honestly, there's been a lot of hurricanes since then. Now, we are not yet done with examples of fraud, and our last stop on the E-Rate Scandal Tour will be with the U.S. Attorney for Southern District of New York, the FBI and FCC Office of Inspector General, and seven members of the Ramapo, New York community, which is a suburb of New York City. In this case, seven conspirators, known as the Ramapo Seven, allegedly, quote, stole money from the E-Rate program, billed the E-Rate program for equipment and services which were, surprise, not in fact provided. The defendants allegedly, fraudulently, obtained millions of dollars in E-rate funds to which they were not entitled and which should lawfully have been spent to help provide access to technology to educate underprivileged children. Like the other cases as we have mentioned, this one was all about billing the program for things that were never delivered. While this went on for almost seven years, huh, I guess a year for each of the Ramapo 7, so we're seeing a pattern here, some of the requests upon later review seem... A little more than strange. I mean, not that the managers of E-Rate actually seem to be managing it over there at the Universal Service Administrative Company. If they had reviewed these requests, it's surprising that they would have approved them. But like we said, this isn't their money. So in one strange request, the Post 7 made and received money for what was supposed to provide equipment to a daycare center that serves toddlers between ages 2 through 4. To help these toddlers learn and grow, they requested over $700,000 for equipment and services, including video conferencing and distance learning in a, quote, media master system, very sophisticated telecommunication systems, which apparently required 23 high-speed internet lines. Now, having seen Boss Baby and actually re-watching it lately, we like to imagine that the children at the center were all in little power suits running around, making deals, do this, do that, yes, buy, sell. But however, we do understand, because we live in reality, that Boss Baby is a cartoon, and as fun as we'd like to imagine toddlers um, running around in power suits, uh, apparently, for those of you who know toddlers, they really don't need high-speed video conferencing 
or 23 high-speed lines. See, it turns out that Daniel Tiger, Caillou, and Molly from Denali don't really require that much bandwidth, even if their dumb little theme songs may drill into your head and play all night. Not that we're talking from experience. So while criminals think that they're very smart, as you might expect, and because we're talking about this, the Ramapo 7 were discovered. They were arrested, and ultimately they pled guilty. The charges carry a maximum sentence of five years in prison and a $250,000 fine, but according to news sources, the sentences could be much lower because these sentences are going to be set by a single judge, United States District Judge Kenneth M. Karakas. When we look deeper, we wanted to see what the sentences would be, but unfortunately, these are all separate court cases, and with the delays with COVID and the motions from defendants' lawyers, the time may be very minimal, but we don't really know. Again, we'll update as this unfolds, but more than likely, we're just going to forget and move on. Now, we can make this a several-hour episode, since there was a fraud in Chicago where $5 million in computer equipment that became obsolete before it was even installed was purchased. Atlanta, where they installed networks and never used them since the computers for students were way too expensive. Or El Paso, where IBM, already receiving $351 million in E-rate funds between 2002 and 2003, dipped deep into the cookie jar with additional frauds in Arkansas, California, Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. It seems that taking advantage of E-rate is the whack-a-mole of education scandals, but we're going to wrap this up. A 2006 report by Brigham Young University, a historically polygamous college, released a report titled, quote, Highway Robbery Online. Is E-Rate Worth the Fraud? The 35-page report listed numerous fraud, but included that, quote, the E-Rate has been a success and will continue to thrive as it helps to improve the educational system in the United States. Nevertheless, a call to create more oversight was made, and that was, uh, years later, many years later, backed up by the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, in a 48-page 2020 report which recommended the FCC chairman should direct the CEO of USAC to create a fraud risk assessment and examine controls that data should be used to identify or detect fraud, and that would allow the FCC to use the USAC data to also manage fraud risks. It seems like the real talented bunch of people who work for the Universal Service Administration Company, a place that continues to let millions of dollars get diverted, were not so interested. Perhaps, as one Glassdoor reviewer claimed, they do indeed just have meetings to discuss TV shows. And now, time for one final announcement, and this, we want to turn our attention again to Ramapo, New York, since Ramapo, it's just such a fun name to say, Ramapo, but this story has Nothing particularly to do with technology. Listen to the sound coming out of your speaker. You are getting very sleepy. We recommend you don't stare at the swinging pocket watch of teacher Peter Lawton. According to HudsonValley.News12.com, the most 12 of Hudson Valley news, all the way from Lake Tear the Clouds to the Hudson Fjord, this is a bad thing. According to police who arrested Lawton, a 74 years young retired teacher from Ramapo High School, he was accused of using hypnotism and motivational talks on a student in order to solve a student's, quote, personal problems. Lawton allegedly also gave the student a dirty book, which at the time of the story in 2005 could have been pornography or any number of books that were banned in that year, such as Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Twilight, I Am the Cheese, or Horse, which is a book exactly as it sounds about horses, but 
also promoted the theory of evolution. Lawton was charged with, quote, child endangerment and obscenity and released on $500 bail. However, as of this recording, we could not find any additional information about this story, nor any outcome for Lawton, who, for all we know, are still hypnotizing people creepily at his home or hypnotizing them professionally at the, and this is true, Advanced Hypnosis Center of Rockland County, which is a short 10-minute drive from Ramapo High School, where he used to work. So we would like to thank our listeners and, of course, our Patreon, Ollie. Thanks, Ollie, for all you've done. We really should have you proofread our copy because sometimes it's a little choppy. If you are a listener who has not yet given us a review, go to Apple Podcasts and do so. Well, as long as it's a good review. We'd like to give thanks for our news sources. We're going to list the key ones on our website, scandalk12us.com. We will also have a list of our sounds and all the background noises which we generally get from freesound.org. These sounds allow us to have a richer texture and Freesound is also a great community. We'll list those contributors we use in our show notes. If you like what you're hearing, even though it's a little rough, we're doing this from a basement studio and we're trying to get some better equipment and a little better timetable to uh, produce a little more polished episode. But if you like this diamond in the rough, we would say... Tell two people about this, or three people. We keep hearing things like that on other podcasts, so we're really unimaginative. We're just cribbing from what seems to work for more popular sources. Mostly what we find works is that everyone you know is a producer at a major company. But anyway, speaking of listeners, we have seen an increase in listeners, especially following the school calendar, so we're happy to see that. We're hoping that educators or folks interested in education, and of course, teachers, because sometimes you just need a laugh. As always, reach out to us with tips or ideas or hate mail at scandalk12us at gmail.com. And stay safe, stay in school, and stay scandal-free.